Podcasting out of Alliance Wrestling Studios, pontificating on pro wrestling, the innovator of talk NWA, he is Jake Cow. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a special treat for you today. I have the man who's climbed to that mountaintop. He's seen the top of the hills. He's held that 10 pounds of gold and leather. And I'm talking about Tim Storm. Now, some of you who are new to the NWA and NWA Power might recognize this man as a guy sitting behind the booth. But longtime fans of the National Wrestling Alliance recognize this man as the guy that carried the 10 pounds of gold all throughout uh, the United States, defended the belt in Japan, brought the title home, and, and, and carried that belt with honor and class and dignity. And of course, I'm talking about Tim Storm. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Jay. Thank you for that introduction, man. I, I, it always surprises me, and, and I've had this conversation with uh, other, other wrestlers in the NWA, that some are very new and don't remember our you know recent history. Some are like me and, and focus on you know, the 80s and 90s, but either way, we're, we're just glad. To, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to have, have people that care about the NWA like I do. Well, and you know what? The thing, the crazy thing about it is, um, and, and, and Dr. Stinson and I kind of go back and forth. He, he kind of, I heard him coin the term the wilderness era from the NWA, you know, post uh, Jim Crockett promotions up until now up until Billy's purchase, but I, I would even say that there's differentiations between that, but uh, there's so much history and time at the NWA that people seem to forget about, and one thing that I, I always like to say is that each champion paved the way for the next guy, so we don't get to Nick Aldis if there isn't Tim Storm, we don't get to Tim Storm if there isn't a, an Adam Pierce, or excuse me, Jax Dane, Rob Conway, and, and then, I mean, of course, a couple generations back, then we go Adam Pierce and and, and Jeff Jarrett and, and a lot of those gentlemen and I mean even all the way down to Mike Rapata, each person right. carried a role to, to bring the NWA to where it is today and you know we, we, we talked a little bit uh, a couple years ago right before the premiere of Power and you it was uh, right right about the last uh, it was right before the uh, first episode of Power and it was going to be your do or die match with Nick Aldis. This would be the last time that you would get to challenge for the 10 pounds of gold uh, while he was champion. And obviously some time has definitely passed since then. Is, is that still on the optics? Are you still hoping for an opportunity to, to get to challenge Nick Aldis or, or anyone who's carrying the 10 pounds of gold? You know, it's one of the, it's a weird situation for me because I knew going into that match that that was the stipulation and a lot of people before that match, and I probably told you this, Finn, a lot of people going into that were like, well, yeah, just take the match. That was a big deal to me, you know, to say, and, and you quoted it, if I, if I go, if I go out in the beginning and I say, this is my mountaintop, there's nothing higher. And that's the truth. How it was a difficult decision for me to balance between, okay, uh, if I lose, I don't ever get a shot at this. On the other hand, it's not a lack of confidence that I don't think I can win that match. So it was a really weird balance that I had to figure out, and and it came down to, yeah, it's worth, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, I don't regret it. I'm very, very happy with, uh, you know, the contest that that Nick and I had, and I know it was a good starting point for episode one and kind of something to build on. Um, truthfully, 
I mean, I'll never give up that dream because, you know, I, the only thing I can think of that would top holding the NWA World Heavyweight Champion uh, Championship is to do it again. So that's now along the, along the same lines. I understand it's a stipulation, and I lost the match. You know, it's wrestling; anything can happen. You know, but I'm like everybody else. I'm getting older by the day. Uh, you know, I don't know how I don't know how much is left in the gas tank. I'm not ready to quit, but uh, I, I would love that opportunity again. Well, if anyone has found the fountain of youth, Tim, it's you. I mean, you look great. You're, I mean, you're you're in best shape of your life. Every time we see you in the ring, and even though it's farther and fewer in between, you still look great. You still you still have the best tan in the building, and, <laughs> and you get out there and you get after it. And uh, it's always such a pleasure to see you in the ring. Thank how you. do you stay in shape? How how do you keep that ball going? I mean, yes, the matches are a little bit more in- intermittent for the National Wrestling Alliance, but you're still out there wrestling matches all over, correct? Yeah, and it's it's uh again, it, it's a it's another balancing act. It's I'm passionate about wrestling. I I have been for a really long time. And I believe that if you're going to go out there and consider yourself a professional, you need to present yourself as a professional. And when, when I do clinics, when I talk to young guys, when I, it, it doesn't, we all have our limitations. We all have like our physical uh, thing challenges. But, but if I'm going to step in there in any way and represent the National Wrestling Alliance, I think I, I believe I should do that and be at the best condition I can be in. Um, you know, I, I honestly just don't, I'm not ready to quit. But I've also been saying for legitimately maybe 15 years that I don't know how much is left in the tank and, and I don't know how much longer. Um, I, I want to keep going as long as I can without being that guy that people say, yeah, you shouldn't be in the ring anymore. And and I and I hope that I have good enough friends that would tell me that or also uh, that I would know myself. Uh, I, I'm Consistency is a big thing for me, you know, and I'm... I'm, I'm in the gym, depending on my wrestling schedule, four or five days a week. Diet is my key because I love to eat. Um, you know, it, it is. Yeah, it, I, I love I love food, and but what I've learned for me personally is that you know I know my my time schedule. I know when I need to. Okay, this is how long before the pay per view or the TV tapings. And truthfully, in a lot of situations, I don't know going into a weekend for NWA if I'm doing uh, com- all commentary or if I've got a match, so i kind of got to be ready for both. And like you said, I'm I'm at that point in my life where I can't take an extended time off from the ring uh, and then jump back in like nothing happened. So I'm still I'm still wrestling matches uh, you know, two or three four, day, four, four dates a month when I can. Uh, and obviously the NWA is my priority, so I work around that, but you know, it, it's it is, it's, I'm it's a big, uh, it's a big pot of like cake batter, and I'm mixing it all the time, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it come out right. And sometimes I hit it, sometimes I won't. Uh, we talked before we came on, and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm in the grind right now. You know, it's I've got, what this is Monday. I will leave on Friday for Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I'm, I'm in the okay. Diet's got to be on point. I can't miss a day in the gym. Um, you know, I, 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 I made the joke with you. I'm not, and I'm not gonna call any names out that way if I but I it's a constant it's a constant discussion between two or three of us about who's got the better tan in the locker room and you know there's things I can't do in the ring anymore but I can still I can still look like uh, I can look like I can go sometimes I get the ring and I let myself down but you know it's but it's it's just a it's just a grind but I'm in it and I love it well I mean and and that's the thing like um 
how do I say this delicately? You passed the <laughs> sniff test, right? Like you look like a professional wrestler. You look like you could be anywhere. You don't have um, you don't have any like physical limitations that look like you would be held back. I mean, you've got a great look. Obviously, we talked about the tan, uh, and you can get in there and lock horns with just about anybody. I mean, uh, prior to the pandemic, we saw you and Jax really go toe to toe in that ring. And I know Jax is somebody that you have a ton of respect for. You guys have locked horns multiple times. And, and we're going back to not just the Billy Corgan era of the NWA, but also the Bruce Tharp era of the NWA. In fact, your guys' feud was almost like a race to the top to see who would get to that 10 pounds of gold first. Uh, you know, you guys both, you know, each had a title and were efforting to get to that point. Um, what is it like? working you know those matches in the past with jack stain and then still seeing him being a part of the show with you now and and, and kind of having that camaraderie that you guys shared back in the day well like you said i have just the ultimate respect for jackson um he and i still joke i i carry i carry, carry legit scars on my body that he that he gave me that will never go away and you know he he he's got his own that he would share i'll let him share those if he wants but yeah it was uh we know, we knew, and we know that when we get in there, uh, it's going to be an incredibly physical contest that we're going to, you know, neither one of us, I don't think, would claim to be a, 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 a technical wrestler, but we know when we get in there that it's going to be physical and we're going to beat on each other. And, um, you know, if, if we had to take a, if we probably, if we did a, a, a win or loss rate between the two of them, he probably has, he's beat me more times than I beat him. Um, you know, but, but when you do that, when you get in there and, and, go through that it's like any other sport you get in there and you battle with somebody you just develop that respect and you know i i he deserve i'm glad he's with the nw he deserves that he's he paid a price uh just like you know a lot of other guys there that did he carried he carried what i can still consider the most prestigious title in the history of wrestling that alone to me carries a huge amount of weight so um i love being in the ring with jacks because we both know we're gonna we're gonna give everything we got and we're just gonna see who comes out on top at the end and I mean, um, when you talk about that history that you guys share and kind of what I was saying earlier too, like every single champion before you kind of paved the way for you to be here, you know, uh, again, if it wasn't for Jack Stane, Tim Storm wouldn't have, you know, had that opportunity to carry that 10 pounds of gold. One of the most interesting uh, title matches you had as champion, as world's heavyweight champion was when you went to Japan and it was a, a relatively new wrestling promotion uh, that at the time was working with the Bruce Tharp's NWA. Could you tell us a little bit about your time uh, with that title defense in Japan? I, I think you were wrestling a sumo wrestler, weren't you? Yeah, it was, and I'm probably going to, unfortunately, probably draw a blank on his name. But it, it's, you know, I think every professional wrestler um, that's been in the business, that has, a, has, you know, wants to be in the business, I think we all want to wrestle in Japan. And, it, and for me... You know, that was, you know, I grew up watching the NWA. I watched World Class. I watched, uh, you know, Memphis Wrestling. I watched AWA. But, you know, when at, at becoming a wrestler, when we traveled, when we, when we would spend, you name it, you know, 18 hours in a van with 12 guys, what we were probably watching was a lot of Japanese wrestling. So that's one of the places that I think every every wrestler wants to go. And, and, and I think it's probably, you know, whether it's changed now or not, I think, you know, historically... You knew that if you were going to Japan, you were probably going to make good money. Yeah, you know that, that's what you're going to now. That you, there's a there's a price, right? There's there's that plight. There's all those things that go with this. Uh, but uh, 
the, the you know, Bruce had developed a relationship. We were we were doing some other things. Rob Conley and Jax had gone to Japan a couple of times. Uh, my my you know one of my best friends is a guy named James Beard. James made a living in Japan uh, as a referee and and helping in the dojo and training. And he was on the trip. I uh, got to go with a lot of really good you know guys that I knew really well. And uh, I think that's to me that's that's a that's a you know that's a career opportunity. You get to go to Japan, where wrestling is really looked at and respected in a, in a whole different level. At least in the past, I don't know now, but in the past, it, you know, they it's it's considered more of a, a mainstream sport there. You know, in the 80s and 90s, you had probably headlines over baseball and everything else in Japan. Yeah. So, you know, and 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 everybody wants to go to Ribera, you know, and get the jacket. And I mean, that's that's just some, that's some things that you want to do. So. When the opportunity came up, it was definitely on my. You know, I got to check this off my list, um, and I'm gonna draw. I'm gonna draw a blank on the guy's name, and I, that's probably. I, I got it for you, Ryota okay. Hama. Hama. Okay, thank you. Uh, over what, probably four or eighty pounds, four hundred eighty pounds. Former legit sumo wrestler, trained, had some success. Made a transition from that into MMA, so he did some. I mean, very legit fighting. He was making, he was working, he was kind of a local hero from all of those, and then got into professional wrestling. Um, so to go there and to work in Japan against kind of a local hero, uh, I, my expectations were, and like you said, it was a very, it was an upstart promotion. It was not, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in front of 40,000 people, but it was a very nice venue. The card was really good. We had a lot of talent there. And there was a lot of you know, a lot of guys that came from the U.S. Uh, on our talent roster that came. And I, my expectation was, okay, I'm going to walk in. And they, I, I, they, I came out to, like it was their request, I came out to the same music that Harley and Funk had, 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 had used in Japan. It was, it's very... I don't want to say bland, but it was known there. But my thought was, okay, well, I'm, they're probably going to boo me. You know, I'm from the U.S. I'm the champion. I'm working their local guy. And, you know, as the champion, you come out second. And I walked through the curtain, and, and they were chanting NWA. That's... Uh, the, yeah, the respect level there, being NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, carried over from all those guys that, that brought that title over there and defended it. And... Uh, the match was the match was good. I mean, obviously, he's he's almost 500 pounds. There there's some things that it's it's going to be a brutal match. Right. Uh, I ran across a memory the other day. I can't remember what social media was uh, that that the president of the NWA tweeted, I think, from ringside, and it said uh, in the first. I wish I could. I wish I could pull that up right now. But it said something like in the first 20 seconds of the match, Tim Storm just rocked Hama with a right fist that almost took him off his feet. You could see the fear in his eyes and the match changed immediately. And, I, and that's true. Um, you know, I work a very physical style anyway. Yeah, of course. So, you know, to me, Japan was in my wheelhouse. Uh, and as you know, it's tough to say I'm going to go toe to toe with a 500 pound man, but I knew that I had to establish that. And I, I just like he said, when, when that right landed, I looked in his eyes and I thought, Oh, all right. Well, this match just took a turn, and it was physical. He did a lot of. I mean, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of person coming on you. But uh, you know, it, it, it was a good match. I was proud to be there. Uh, I, I do as I checked it off my list, and we did a couple of different shows. And you know, it was it was it was a great experience. I'd love and then going into it, I look back and went, yeah, I'd love to do that more. You know, 
It can't get much better, right? Defending right. the NWA World's title in Japan. Now, also while you're there, I gotta ask, how was the steak at Ribe- the Riviera <laughs> restaurant? I mean, it looked so good when you see all the photos and all the extra butter and everything else, but, I mean, how was that steak? Um, man, uh, it, it, I don't know how to answer this. It was really good. I, it was, it was, you know, it was a famous steak at a famous steakhouse. Steakhouse, <laughs> and I was with, uh, again, I was with Matt Matt Riviera and Rob Conway and James Beard and the owner. And there's two of them now, I believe, two okay. steakhouses. One by the original. That's the one we went to, and one who I think is a son. So we were at the original, and you know, there's always that question. I don't know if people know this or not, but. Uh, a lot of guys have those jackets, and, the, and it is—it's a—it's a mark, you know, it's a landmark. If you have that, you've done something. A lot of wrestlers go in there and have to buy that jacket, so you never know: are they going to recognize? Are they going to understand? And you know, they brought the jacket out and gave it to me, and then the guy also walked over and pointed at the ceiling, and 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 we were like, "What's he doing?" We walked over, and it was a picture of James Beard with Randy Savage, oh, Jim Neidhart, and and Haku from 30 years before and the guy recognized him so that was very cool uh, okay to answer your question i'm not sure that this isn't sacrilegious i think i'd rather have texas roadhouse uh, <laughs> of course but but i get that may be sacrilegious but uh it steak was good but you know i like to eat so i you know i needed a i needed two of those to fill me up but you know we, we worked it out it worked, it worked out well that's great I, I always wondered about that because again the NWA was in a different place then than it is now. There wasn't nearly as much coverage on the NWA uh, when you were world's champion under the Bruce Tharp regime as opposed to the Billy Corgan regime. Obviously, with having power and it being really successful, not only that, but then the opportunities that you, you had to defend that title in Hollywood. You had opportunities right. to defend that title uh, uh, in the impact zone against Josephus. Or, right. excuse me, that was, no, excuse me. I got that mixed up. That match wasn't for the title. That was um, that was a last man standing match. Excuse me. I got I got that mixed up. That was right after I had lost to lost to Nick. So yeah, it it, uh, it I think it would be unfair for me or anybody else to deny because I think I think you said the doc uh, Doctor Stetson used the term the, the the lost in the wilderness. I I think it would be denial to say that you know you can't compare in good conscience you can't compare. Ric Flair, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, NWA to Bruce Tharp, you know, era NWA. And also, because my goal from the beginning when I when I committed to people to work in the NWA was I grew up watching that. And I wanted I didn't know what I could do, if anything, but my goal was what can I do to try to bring this to elevate it to some degree. And what and that was before I ever thought about winning the world title. Um, you know, but I think that has I think Billy Corgan has accomplished that, you know, and I'm not saying we're on the same level, but you see it, you see it moving back up on a positive way. And, and, you know, he came out at the very beginning and said 20 year plan and everybody kind of scoffed at it, but it's still rolling and we're still moving up that ladder and and we're going to get there. And I I think sooner than later. Uh, We have someone in watching along with us, Dave Scooby. And he says he remembers watching you, uh, wrestle back at Harley's World Legion Wrestling in Springfield back in 2000. How how were those memories? I mean, you were actually there. You were there with uh, Dave Marquez and 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 Harley Race, and uh, I mean that was different. That was definitely a different era and a different vibe too, because 
that was a very much like a studio program, kind of like Power. And there was a lot of guys who were working at WCW at the time who would come and work those WLW shows. Can you tell us a little bit about the times that you were there working with WLW? That, that was very early for me. Uh, and, and I mean that career-wise. Um, the, the the person, the man that I trained with is a, is a man named Bill Ash. A lot of old-school guys would know him. A lot of guys would not. It's a, and, and again, it's it's an era, era thing. But Bill had uh, had trained. We had been training with him. And he had had gotten the call, I guess, from Harley to try to help with booking and those kind of things. So a lot of us had opportunities. Um, it was a great experience, especially for somebody who had a handful of matches. You know, I went in and, and there's always there always seems to pl- be a place in wrestling for for bigger guys. And at the time, I was wrestling as Big Tim Storm, and it was a, it was a cowboy gimmick, and I you know the hat and the the, the duster and all those kind of things. And I was also probably closer to 300 pounds. You know, then then 250, um, short hair, but I had the the, the ugly mustache, and but, you know, but but I got in there and got, and I will I look back now and I cringe at those matches as far as how I performed, uh, but I had great opportunities. I went in and I think my very first match was, and it was my first real TV match was against Hacksaw Butch Reed. Um, I was a and he beat the crap out of me, legit. Sure. I was a huge Harley Race fan, uh, you know, growing up, nothing but massive respect. So for me, just being in the locker room and having, you know, Mr. Race come over and uh, who, you know, who's working Butch, you know, that's me for you know. And so um, I think my second match was against uh, King Mabel, which was becomes Viscera, Big yeah. Daddy V. Um, Took a crossbody off the second rope and then we bit the ring. That was a great experience. I worked uh, Dan Severin for the first time up there, so I had a lot of really good experiences and and I learned a lot. Um, and and not just in the ring, you know. I remember I remember getting the the second TV taping we had. I remember the entire locker room getting the speeches of, "Hey guys, you're on TV now." So you some of you need to get into the tanning bed. And at that time in my life, I had never been in a tanning bed. You know, I didn't. I, I so that was new to me. I mean, though, but I learned a lot, and, and it was a great experience. It didn't end well. Uh, turns out that my my trainer had a falling out with, I guess, with Harley, and I, we were told, yeah, that that we're not doing that anymore. I didn't realize what that meant was is that we ended up no showing Harley Race, which is a no no. Uh, we just we thought the show was gone. It wasn't. We were gone. So. <laughs> That's never a good thing, and I'm not sure I ever uh, got back up over that hill with with Harley. But yeah, well, you know, Harley was so impassioned about the NWA. Uh, I mean, we saw it when he kind of endorsed Nick all this. Uh, right. We've seen it in the past where he's he's uh, always been kind of uh, associated with the brand. You know, being an eight-time World Heavyweight Champion, so I'm sure that uh, he marveled at you having the ten pounds of gold and was uh, probably a staunch supporter too, because uh, that title mean that title has always meant something and and i like you said that that was your mountaintop and i think people really kind of got hung up on that and they said well it's just the nwa world's title but they don't understand the the legacy that that belt has going all the way back to 1948 um and just some of the great names that have been associated with that title and and i recently heard and uh heard bully ray talking about uh cm punk and 
the the uh, number of sellouts that they had at Madison Square Garden and the title reigns that he had with the WWE and compared it to Bruno San Martino and and mm-hmm. just said hold on a second we just compared CM Punk to Bruno San Martino and that carries weight it carry it means something and the right. fact of the matter is that you carried that 10 pounds of gold and whether it was in Japan or or you know in Arkansas you were defending that title and it, it wasn't like you wrestled bums like you wrestled right. legitimate competition Matt Riviera great talent Big Daddy Yum Yum great talent right. Jax Dane Rodney Max uh Brent McKenzie I mean you really faced some tough tough competition yep. when you were champion what looking back as as your reign as world champion what was the the hallmark of your career what was the defining moment for you well and okay let me let me back up what you just said it's the night that i won that title i don't think anything could top that um i never dreamed of carrying that like a lot of people would say when you get in the business you need to be in and you need to i'm gonna be world champion i never dreamed of that that's the that is the title that's why it meant so much to me it still means that much to me that is the title that I grew up knowing, not believing, knowing was the most important title in the, in the history of wrestling, which was a big deal to me. I don't know that anything's going to top winning it that night, because here was my one thought, and, and there were I laugh now because that was five, five almost five years ago, something like that. And I'm just basing it on my age because I found out later I was the you know I, I was going to be the I was the oldest person to ever win that title which cracks me up because that's that was 53 uh, 50 uh, 57 now you know so we're talking four or five years ago 57 i know I'm tim old. tim no no I, you're lying to us you're there's no way you're 57 <laughs> brother there's no yeah, way I, I don't buy it rapidly crawling up to 58 but it but the night that i won that title I had one thought, because there was a lot of people that thought, okay, this is a really nice pat on the back, you know, thanks for all your hard work, probably won't hold it for long. Uh, my one thought that night was, and I and it was legit emotion, legit tears, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to hold this title, but that, that my name is now on a list of some of the most prestigious, prominent men in the history of this business, and whether I hold it one day or one year, they can't take my name off that list. And, and that, that's why that meant so much to me. That's why that means so much to me now. Uh, I mean, if you go through this, and you can you can go through that early that like you just did, but you know, you can go through the Funks and Harley and Ric Flair and Steamboat, and, and you can come all the way up into a more modern era, and you can say Jarrett and AJ Styles and Sabu, and then you can come further than that. And, and now we can look at a new era, and even if you look at, you know, Japanese wrestlers with Kojima and Baba. And, and I mean, it is a first, it, it is the grandfather, great grandfather of every title. And it, every title in the history of wrestling has come in some way out of that. It meant that much to me. So all those guys that you mentioned, I knew every night that when I would walk into, it didn't matter where it was. Because I, the way the NWA was set up is it had, I think it was 53 franchises. And every franchise was supposed to, not all did, supposed to use the world champion once in a year. That would be 53 matches. Some could do it more. Uh, but you knew you were walking in, and it was it was uh, an old-school territory system where you knew you were going to get the, the guy that they're pushing, that they're one of their best talents. And not only that, but you're going to get their best shot of whatever they've got on that night because it was an honor for them to be in the NWA and get a shot at the world title. You could not have an off night. 
you you couldn't because you're there to have try to have a great match with those people regardless of how long they've been wrestling and what they've got. That's your job. There are no off nights, and you had to go in and and, and you had to carry the carry the ball every time you went in. One of one of the greatest things, uh, maybe not greatest things, but one of the things that always tickled me about your reign as world's heavyweight champion is you went to New Jersey, uh, Hackensack, New Jersey, to to face Rodney Mack. When both of you guys are Texas guys, <laughs> but but it took it took going to New Jersey for you guys to square off. Well, and here's the the reality of that night. Um, <laughs> I'm friends with both these guys, so you know, they may or may, but the original booking for that was Charlie Haas and I, mm-hmm. and it was, it turned out to be flight problems, you know, those kind of things. And, and, and both those guys are just beasts. You know, I mean, it's, it's, and like you said, I was seeing both those guys at the NW franchise, uh, locally, once or twice a month and, and we weren't wrestling all the time but like you said we went all the way we went to New Jersey to uh, and that was a brand new NWA franchise uh, Andrew Anderson or you know had, had started a franchise there called Big Apple and yeah. did a great job with it and, and enjoyed the trip but you're right we bunch of us got on a flight from Texas flew up to New Jersey and wrestled and then probably flew home and the next week saw each other again so you know <laughs> it, it, it's, that's wrestling and and people you know I don't want to. I'm not asking you to uh, toot your own horn, right? But are you aware of how how you appeared on those ten pounds of gold? I, I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but when new ownership took over, obviously there was a direction change. There was a, a whole plan that was has, had changed. A lot of turnover. There was no more territory system. It was just one wrestling promotion, and that ten pounds of gold uh, that was produced by the NWA put this this light this focus on you that i don't know that you you got all that often um no. we, and 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 I'm, I'm telling you there were people who see in southern california you know dave marquez was associated with the nwa for so long up until about 2012 when when ownership changed there and we when, when we think of nwa in southern california we think of colt cabana adam pierce blue demon Bye. jr uh, brent albright all great champions in their own right, but then you come along with this 10 pounds of gold series, and for people who stopped following the NWA when they left California, um, weren't used to you, didn't know you, and then had this spotlight on you, and people legitimately fell in love with you, Tim, and I'm not saying that to, because you're my guest here, and I'm trying to blow smoke up your butt, I actually had friends who were like, who is this Tim Storm guy? Where have you guys been hiding him? He is so damn charming. Did, did you know how like how that would impact you and, and did you did you ex- know that when you were walking into it and, and how long did it take for you to find out please tell me I'm not the one telling you this news right now well, the answer is absolutely not uh, I didn't have no clue that was a that was a big decision for me um, I am an old school guy and it, it, I, I grew up trained by old school you protected it you protected who you are and there were three things I protected. I didn't want anybody to know my age. You know, I, I didn't want to walk into someplace, and I, I work really hard to to be able to do what I do and try to present myself in a good light. And I didn't want anybody 
I, and it, it, I don't like, I know it's true now, but I don't like people going, wow, he's in really good shape for his age, right? <laughs> I wanted to go in wrestler, and I didn't want anybody to know that. Um, I didn't want anybody to know my family. Because old school, you just didn't do that. Because right. it didn't, you know, whether you were working as a world champion, you don't really work face or heel. You work as the world champion. You do whatever you have to in the ring against the guy that you're working, right? Absolutely. So I didn't want anybody to know who my family was. And I didn't want anybody to know I was a school teacher. Because it, it's the, the old school is, and again, I keep bringing up the name, but old school is Ric Flair. If yeah. you're a world champion, you come in in a, in a limo and that's all you do and you're flying everywhere. Well, I didn't want anybody to know that. And under Billy, um, you know, Dave Lagana, those guys, they, I really believed that when the ownership changed, because I found out about it just like everybody else, wow. I was sitting in my classroom and my phone just started blowing up saying, all right, and then I mean by, by wrestlers, by NWA franchise owners, okay, what's going on? Did you know about this? Because everybody was at, uh, at Cauliflower Alley Club right, right, for, the, right. for you know, the celebration. And I was sitting in my classroom, and I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I'll find out. I don't know. And my thought, my first thought was, well, it was a good run. You know, I mean, you know, Billy came, Billy had a, at that point had a recent history with Impact, and he's been in wrestling a long time in one regard or another, and I really had the feeling that, okay, it's nothing personal. They're going to probably go with somebody that they feel comfortable with, probably a younger guy. Um so in our first conversations, it was it was fairly guarded. You know, I mean, it was like, a, you know, my thing was, and I try to do this with everything, I will approach everything as professionally as I can. Right. Um, let's make it make sense. And I thought, okay, well, they, you know, it was a, it, we'll just see what happens. And they came to me and said, we think you have a really good story that will connect people. You know, we have this, we have this concept, which is the 10 pounds of gold. And we, we've seen that even recently, you know, the build up to race to the chase. We've seen them putting together these, you know, these features and these backgrounds that show, okay, well, it was, it was tough for me to go, okay, let's do it. And on the first couple of episodes, I mean, my first thought was, wow, this is really well done. It had yeah. to do with me. Like these are really well produced. They look great. The editing is fantastic. Where's this, where's this music coming from? Because I've never been a part of something like that. Right, you know? right. And I know in the first episode or two, you know, everybody was hitting the fans of comedies, but mostly about my age. Who is this guy? How do you have a champion that old? Where is so? But it, it, it built momentum. It grew. Um, I saw it building and everyone seemed to get better. I think, I don't know how many there were, maybe 10. And I know that by the end, there was very little negative. Um and I, I made this comment in a lot of interviews at the time. It's not a, it's not many professional wrestlers who at whatever I was at the time, 54 or whatever it was, gets the biggest push of their life. You know, it's more recognized. And don't get me wrong, in, in the South, and even though I was wrestling nationally some, but Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, you know, I was in, I was those places for years, every weekend somewhere, that's fine. But now all of a sudden I'm getting national and even worldwide attention and, and let me just let me throw this in there with nw power it happened again right i mean i got on how many of us get that opportunity so it's it, yeah it was i had no idea what was going to happen i couldn't have asked for anything better um i probably if it hadn't i've probably ridden off into the wrestle off into the sunset and still be working you know local shows and having fun and nobody would still know who i was so yeah now 
Now, I kind of want to go a little bit further back in the time machine because before you became world champion, you were a two-time North American champion. And again, this was in the territory days of the NWA where you were still going from territory to territory defending that title. How was that... um, How am I trying to phrase it? Being that champion and carrying that that North American title, and I know it's a different North American title today, but you know, carrying the significance of that belt and, and, and traveling around with that title, how is that for you? In in what what fond memories do you have as being North American champion? Well, at the time, I remember, like again, okay, let me let me go way back. In my first year of wrestling, um, I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time. I trained in Paris, which I don't know, Paris, Arkansas. Uh, maybe two hours away, maybe. And I would drive down, you know, every Saturday, spend the day, work out all day, drive back. We do that sometimes a couple. Anyway, when I first started working shows, I had the opportunity to work in this tiny high school gym. And, it, and, and I was so excited because they were advertising themselves as NWA Mid-South. And again, I, I have a friend who, who opened a legit franchise that became the NWA made itself, not him, because he did a great job. This was, a, this was some little, what we would have called an outlaw show. Sure. With, who knows, you know, 50 or 60 people. In, in, anyway, I was so excited to get to work for what was an NWA franchise. So if you fast forward and you, and you put that North American title, um, that was, again, at that point, that was, that was a major accomplishment for me. Uh, you know, to carry a again, every franchise had its own local titles, but to carry a fran- to carry a, a title that represented the entire NWA, all the franchises, was a huge deal for me. I can remember even looking it up, going, "Okay, where I know that the world titles at the top, I probably never have a shot at that." Then there was the North American and the National. Where does this, you know, where does that? So I was even looking up who held it because that's all the, the legacy, the, the heritage is really important to me. Right. Uh, but, it, you know, it turned out looking back, and I don't think anybody planned it at the time, but that was that was the learning ground. You know, that was the proving ground to show that you could go out and represent. How are you going to handle How are you gonna handle a promoter that that wants to make a change and doesn't have the authority? How do you handle that? Yeah. How, do you handle, how do you handle yourself in a ring against a guy who, if he pins you that night, he's the champion, and it may not be what the promotion wants, you know, what the... So, that turned into a great preparation and learning ground to then carry that and have when I when I got the opportunity to win the the world title. That was it was a great experience. Let's talk about the transition from being the guy in the NWA to, to taking that step back. And I know that's got to been a little hard for you, and even maybe more so now because your your matches are like we said earlier, further and farther uh, <laughs> between. How how I mean. Was that a? Did that kind of humble you a little bit? Did that did that hurt a little bit, or did you know that there was a role for you and you? I'm laughing because I'm still dealing with it. That's yeah. why I'm laughing. I'm giggling about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm still dealing with it. I mean, there's a reality check there, and it doesn't. It, I won't say it humbled me because the one thing again, one thing they can't take, nobody can take away from me, regardless of the future. I held the I held the most. I held the world title. I mean, that's that's a permanent thing. Um. And I'm laughing because, and I don't know that I've said this publicly, and I'm not even sure I should say it now, but I'm going to just because it's the way my mind works. Um, at the first pay-per-view back, I knew I didn't have a match. I didn't know 
any plans going forward what was happening. What I was told was, bring a suit, you'll probably do color commentary on a couple of matches. Okay. Well, that's, I had actually been doing a little bit of that at, at, at another, you know, at another show. And, you know, long term, I want to be in wrestling, whatever that means. You know, whatever, whether it's, whether it's helping as an agent, whether it's man, you know, whatever. I want to, I don't ever want to get out of the business. Um, and, and Joe actually came up to me, Joe Galley came up to me a couple hours before the show and said, oh, I, I see that you're doing color commentary. And my response was, yeah, I don't know which match yet. And he goes, well, what do you mean? You're doing color. And I went, yeah, but I don't know which matches. <laughs> and he goes, no, you don't understand. You're doing color commentary on the pay-per-view. All of it. That's what you're doing tonight. And I and my just because of my personality, I was like, okay. And actually, somebody came up to me later. I won't say a name, but somebody came up and said, "Are you nervous?" And I went, "No. Am I supposed to be nervous? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just go out there and do it and hope it. You know, I do my best. Um, now, here's the part I haven't said. Boy, I don't know if this is good or bad, uh, but I'm just gonna say it. So here's what I'm still at. Still deal with this all the time. Personally, uh, Nick Aldis made the comment on an inter- on an interview. Uh, that he did that said that Tim Storm is a victim of his own brilliance on commentary, that the plan was never for me to do commentary. Now, I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm quoting Nick because I would never <laughs> say that. But here's what I deal with, and it, it cracks me up because this is just my personality. If they say, hey, you're doing commentary, then my inside, I immediately go, oh, what, I can't wrestle? Is that what you're saying? You're saying I can't wrestle? Okay. If they say, hey, you've got a match, then my first thought is, oh, wait, I can't do commentary? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> So it's like, I want to do a good job at whatever I do. I, I want to represent myself. I want to represent the NWA. My heart is always going to be in the ring. But I also have to be enough of a realist to know, uh, and I'm not going to give a list because I haven't made this list for anybody, but my body is breaking down really quick. You know, I know I have my limitations. I don't know what I have left. Um, but I'm not ready to quit. I just want to quit before... I embarrass the business and embarrass myself whenever that is. And then when that happens... And, and I've even debated, maybe it's time to slowly move into commentary and just enjoy because I do enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm still learning. I'm, start, I'm trying to get better. So, But there's your answer. It, it's, it, it wasn't humbling. Uh, I know the reality of where I'm at, but I also, my heart is in the ring, and that's, that's where I love being, and you can't replace that. But I will tell you that especially on uh, – one of the maybe the last night of the championship series watching those matches and commentating on those matches i'm sitting there doing commentary thinking man these guys this is good yeah you know if i'm what where do i fit into this if i'm in there with that guy can i you know and i guess that's a question that you always have to prove as a wrestler you know i did that every i still do it before i go through the curtain my challenge is personal i'm going to show myself i'm going to show everybody else right i'm going to show them what i can still do so no, I'm not, I think that answers your question. No, it 100% does. The other thing, and you, you maybe kind of already answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Are you surprised by the reaction that you got uh, from the fans with you on commentary? Because everyone's, you know, look, Jim Cornette had big shoes to, uh, to be filled when he left. They brought in Stu Bennett. Stu did an amazing job, blew everyone away. We had no idea how good Stu was going to be. Then Stu, obviously, during the pandemic, took a job with the World Wrestling Entertainment. And we're like, well, who's going to do color? And then you stepped into it and, and did it so well. Um, and that's not surprising because you are articulate. You you can, obviously, you know what wrestling is. So you can, of course, call it 
and you speak so well and eloquently that it's not a surprise that you do well at it, but are you surprised by the reaction that you get from the fans? I I, I am, but it's it's and I I mean let me I the night that I cut the promo before Nick and I's match, I didn't have any idea what that it was gonna get any response. I was just talk speaking from the heart. That surprised me. Same thing with this. Um, I didn't go out there with a lot of preparation. I I just speak from my experience and my heart. And if it, if it if it hits, if it registers with with fans. Nobody's happier about that than me because I just want to do a good job and represent. It, it like you said, big. I look at that and I'm I think I'm pretty objective. And I know all three of us have different personalities and we offer different things. But you know the the the. Jim Cornette and Stu, I don't, I'm not as good as those guys. I'm totally different. I'm just saying, I look at that and I'm just like, all I can do is go out there and do my best because, man, those guys, I mean, obviously, Jim Cornette, his years of experience in every aspect and his knowledge, um, I don't, I I didn't know that Stu had had done some commentary in, in England and Europe before. I didn't know how good he was. I was blown away. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, getting to know him because I didn't know him prior to that. Getting to know him and, and talking to him about things, and still blown away. I, I mean, his preparation—he's so much better at those things than and, and the way. Anyway, I, I look at those guys and just go, "Wow!" I, all, but all I can do is go out there and do the best I can. Um, I see my flaws, and I, and I probably tear about just like I do in the ring. I watch a match and I go. What are you thinking? You know, where'd that come from? You've been doing this too long to make that mistake. So I'm, I tear myself up in commentary too when I, I watch and I listen and I'm like, okay, I got to do better. You know, and I'll just try to keep getting better. That's all I can do. Is that part of the preparation is going back and watching yourself and kind of saying, oh, well, this, I went wrong on this one or that was, I was right on the money on that one. I mean, is that something you do you for uh, preparation? Absolutely. It, it's like I have a, there was a time in my wrestling career, maybe the first 15 years, where I recorded every match. I went back and watched every match. And then it got to the point where I got, became so critical that I didn't want to go back and watch because it took the enjoyment away. But that's where I'm at. I, I, I go back and I listen and I watch the matches and I think, okay, what? You know, because really it's just me. Boy, this is a terrible analogy because I'm a, I'm an old school rap guy. I don't nobody knows that. No, but nobody I, I, knows that. But let's <laughs> let's break that down too. This is just freestyle rap. I mean, it's me going out there and just talking and thinking and thinking out loud. The key is this: it's it's not about me. It's about the two people I'm working with and how good they are and the chemistry they that we have. And that's what that's what I see. Uh, Joe Galley is a master at directing. You know, like he'll he'll take something, and I'll tell him it's like it's like when you're when you're first starting wrestling and you go into a match with somebody. Your job is to shut up, listen, and let them direct you. Joe directs. He he's the one that's steering the ship, right? He'll say, "Well, Velvet, tell us about," or or Tim, tell us, and he's directing the ship. Well, all I've got to do is respond to his direction. And then I told I told Billy uh, after the first uh, TV tapings that bringing Velvet in was a genius move. Um, she offers a whole different aspect to everything that we do. And her emotion is, is like mine, is so real, but her presentation is so different. And you want to ask somebody, again, you want to ask somebody about wrestling in general, but we have such a talented women's roster, ask her about a match. Yeah. And that, and that chemistry to me 
that's when I watch a show, I can go back and watch the first couple of episodes that we did, and I can go, all right, that there's that's a little bumpy, the transitions, whatever. And now I can, I, and there even even between, I can go back and go, wow, that was really good. And it's not that I did good. It's that chemistry is so good, and the longer we're there, the more we develop it, and the better we get. And you know, again, it's that's about the fans. We're just trying to get a good product. Now, old school rap. I can't let this go. I'm sorry. You open up a Pandora's box over here. Eric B. Rakim, LL Cool J, Big Daddy Kane, Run DMC. Who are we talking about? Run DMC is my all-time favorite. Uh, now, now realize I'm old, so I go back to Sugar Hill. Um, yes. Be, uh, Fat Boys, Beastie Boys, you know, I go back as, as, as that was the beginning was was Sugar Hill, you know, and that's where I come from. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to out Velvet either, but Velvet is a huge rap fan. Sure. We share, we share um, I'm currently, my stuff is that, I, you know, I quoted it at one point and said he was a great philosopher, but Eminem, Tupac, Biggie, um, Fitty said, <laughs> that, and again, I, I do this to my I do this to my students every year. Sure. Like I I have to I, if I play music in class, I have to be really careful what I play, and I'll I play like Disney classics because that's safe. And and somebody will say, you know, Mr. Scoggins, is this your playlist? And I went, yeah, this is what I'm listening to when I work out. And then I'll say, tell me what you think I listen to, and it's inevitable. It's always the same. Uh, you listen to country music? No, I don't. <laughs> you listen to you listen to classic '80s rock. No, and I like all music, sure. but you know that's what I listen to. That's what I'm listening to. I, the I'll never forget when you quoted Eminem uh, at a show, <laughs> and that kind of got me. That popped me. Um, one of our one of our viewers right now wrestling with the MMA says, "Please say KRS One." So I, I, oh, yeah. I think he wants you to go whoop whoop. That's the sound of the police. But uh, we'll <laughs> do that another time. Don't ever get me to to rap publicly. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying it's what I it's it's what motivates me. It's it's my background, and I started that in the '80s, and uh, you know that's when I started listening, and I and I won't ever quit that. Doesn't mean I don't listen to everything. I do, but that's yeah, that's where that's what I'm listening to most of the time. I was a child of the '80s, walking the mean streets of Lakewood, California, wearing my uh, Adidas. But um, oh, two fifth streets, funky fresh, and yeah, I mean I, it's I'm a big it's my friends, even my wrestling friends, like. When I started training, people started buying me Run DMC stuff, and you know, it <laughs> doesn't get any better. And I'll be honest, when I quoted Eminem, that was strictly for me. Didn't think anybody would get it. And when I said it, and the crowd started laughing, I almost couldn't keep a straight face. But oh, I was you, like, we we oh, kind of tell a little bit. We we were all in on the joke with you, and it was it was awesome. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but I need to ask because that's why we're here is to talk about the 73rd anniversary. Of course, you were part of the 70th anniversary pay-per-view. Um, this this pay-per-view, you're going to be in the loo, battling in the loo, and you're going to be facing Crimson and one of, I, I'm going to just say it right now, one of the most underutilized guys in the entire National Wrestling Alliance and Tom Latimer. That guy, I think, is uh, maybe a wrestling prodigy. He has uh, a five-tool set. You're, you're, you got some stiff competition on Sunday. What what are you doing to prepare for this match? And, and what are your thoughts about this match? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna approach this like I do everything else. Honestly, um, there's not many matches that I go into where I'm the smallest guy in the ring. That's right. Um, I'm dieting hard. I better look good because who knows how it's gonna go in there. I, 
these guys are both are beasts. They're legitimate. I mean, it's 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 classic NWA wrestling. You got three grown men in there that just bring it. Yes. Uh, both of them are, both of them are talented. Both of them are physical. Both of them are big. Both of them are technical. Technically better than I am as far as a technical wrestler. But I'll tell you what, I got fired up a little bit when it was called the Battle of the Lou, right? I mean, the brawl. Oh, we want a brawl? Oh, okay. I think I'm gonna be okay. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to fight. I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> now, again, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I think uh, Tom is just amazing, and I, and I've loved what I've seen recently. Uh, where where they've allowed his personality to come out a little bit because yeah. for a long time they you just didn't see that crimson the history with those guys as far as what they've done in the business and what they're doing in the business uh, it's going to be fun I'm looking forward to it I'm not quite sure how this is going to work because I plan on doing commentary and wrestling and we'll just see how that works Whoa, out I, okay no I'm, you know we'll see how that works but I'm I'm excited and and I'll be again just being honest because that's who I am. I want to wrestle at the chase. You know, I, it's 37 years since wrestling has been at, at what Billy has termed the, what the soul of the NWA at one point. And I read an article recently that said, and it was it was an older article that said if you didn't, your your path to greatness went through the chase. If you were anybody, if you were anybody at that point, you wrestled at the chase, and there were huge names that wrestled there because it was the chase. So. Just the fact that I that I'm going to get to wrestle at a legendary venue, uh, sold out crowd, against two amazing wrestlers. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm going to go into it just like I do everything else. I am going to I'm going to prepare. I'm going to work hard, and I plan to win it just like I do every other match. We'll just see how it goes. I mean, and that's all you can do. You're you will be in the ring with two behemoths, but let's not take anything away from you. You're a scrapper. You're a fighter. You've been doing this for a very long time. If anyone can pull this out, you know the fans are rooting for you. Real quick, I want to I want you to put on your ambassador hat uh, for the NWA. What does it mean to you and the NWA? Did you guys sold that venue out without even a card being announced. Yeah. Yeah, that always ama- that amazes me, uh, and and I think that I, I guess that's a philosophy on how to you know how to promote it. I think that means everything. I think that we, we obviously have a loyal following. I think people appreciate the product that we bring. Um, you know, not to not to bash anybody or downgrade anybody, but we're we said from the beginning that we wanted to offer something different. We wanted to offer a physical, old school style storytelling, promo based show, and I think that the fans appreciate that. Uh, I think that they're they're loyal to it, and I think the fact that it sold out so quickly without a card being announced is is a statement of that. I think there are a lot of people right now that are thinking, they were thinking, I was going to wait till the card was announced before I bought, and you know that that's gone. Uh, and and but look at and 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 there's still stuff coming. There's still announcements that haven't been made. There's more to come. I don't think it's going to get any bigger than than Ric Flair being announced. I can't imagine anything bigger than that. Legendary venue, legendary people, and our hope is a legendary pay per view that everybody that everybody's going to going to love. I'll be honest, Tim. I uh, I regret not setting up myself to be there live and in person, but I will be watching on pay per view like many others on fight. So I do. Uh, I know you know. I said about forty five minutes to an hour. We're at an hour, so I'm going to let you go now. I do want to say thank you so much for for being on the show today. I, I 
you know, this is kind of a last minute thing. So I really do appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. Um, I also want you to plug anything you want, social media, upcoming matches, uh, merchandise, anything you have, anything you want to plug, please take the time to do so now. Here's, here's what I, I told you this before we started. I look at this as we're the Alliance, JU, uh, Doc, Gary, we're all on the same team on this. We love professional wrestling. We want to see it, we want it to be successful. Um, all I'm going to plug is the NWA. Um, you know we've got Empower, the first, for us, the first all-women's uh, pay-per-view. Our talent roster for women was already amazing, and Mickey James is the executive producer with the people that she has. I popped the other day just from the people that are helping, and I'm yeah. gonna I'm probably gonna forget, but I think it was Gail Kim. It was one of my you know really good friends, Jazz. Um, it was I'm leaving somebody out. It's gonna be mad. Yeah, thank you. It's gonna be Medusa, who you know I did her podcast a couple. Of, we got to, that in itself is amazing. Then we move to the men's or the, not the men's the regular pay per view, the NWA 73, because I know. I mean, Camille's going to defend her title. Nick's defending his title. I mean, tag titles are being defended. It's going to be amazing. Follow that up with two days of TV tapings. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic NWA weekend. I don't need to plug myself. I don't need to plug other shows. We are, what, five days, six days away. I'm leaving Friday night, and we start the we start this, this big thing, the celebration, this party for the NWA Saturday, and it's going to be a great four days. Everybody. I understand it's sold out. Fight TV, there's still bundles available where you can get both pay-per-views. Um, support wrestling all over. Support the NWA because it doesn't get any better than that. And and we can't. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that your long-lost cousin, Cowboy James Storm, is making his return to the NWA, and he's going to be challenging for that national title. I just had to had to throw that in there because uh, how often do you get a Cowboy Storm and a Perfect Storm at the same show, right? Uh, and obviously the band has. We've, we've known each other a long time. We have some pretty funny running jokes about storylines that would be fun to run if that ever happened. Loving to death, super talent. Anytime he's in the ring, it's going to be a great show. It, I, there is, no, and I will start ranting. Look at the look at the matches. There is every match on there is is a main event primetime match. This is going to be this is going to be great stuff. I'm looking forward to all of it. Whether it doesn't matter if I'm in the ring or at the table, I'm looking forward to. All of it. I'm predicting it right now. Your match will be the one that everyone's talking about come Monday morning, <laughs> and uh, and I you can quote me on that. I think you guys are going to be great. I am looking forward to the both nights of pay per view. I myself will be watching them. I hope everyone listening to this uh, makes sure that they go and order the pay per view. And uh, Tim. You are the professional. You can do it all, man. You could you could wrestle. You can commentate, and you're a great guest on a podcast. So thank you for being here, and uh, good luck this weekend. I hope you guys just knock it out of the park. I know you're going to knock it out of the park. But uh, thank thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, and that's Tim Storm, everyone. So uh, again, thanks for uh, tuning in, and uh, we'll be back on Tuesday for the pre-party, and we'll be back on Thursday. With Kevin, DKM, and myself giving you the predictions for our, the pay-per-view. And I think I think Kev is going with uh, Tom Latimer, but I'm going with Tim. So, there. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Jay. Thanks again for tuning in to the Alliance Blog Podcast, a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com. We genuinely appreciate your support. Would you consider subscribing so you won't miss any future episodes? 
We'd also like to remind you that we do a live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on YouTube at The Alliance Blog. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitch at The Alliance Blog. Remember, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add what is essentially your own. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.